bone and sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello, and welcome to my study. Please come in and have a seat. All the books surrounding you are those used as sources for our show. We will be sharing with you tonight an interesting selection from one of these volumes, assisted as always by the housekeeper of this estate and co-host of this show, Mrs. Carswell. Hello. So do you want to start with the... We could. I didn't do any candles because, well... You'll see. No, no, that's fine. Uh, Mrs. Carswell is referring to a birthday cake. For us. Five years of Bone and Sickle at the end of this month. 108 episodes. That uh, launch date was uh, very intentional, of course. Uh, turning of the year, April to May, spring to summer, Valpurgisnacht, May Eve to May Day. All that uh, was in the original recipe. And as a sort of celebration yesterday, we watched The Wicker Man. Finally. Finally, for me, since I'd never seen it. Mr. Ridenauer has been mentioning it for all these years. But I never gave away any spoilers. It's fun to watch somebody watch it for the first time and kind of relive the surprise. Oh, I had no idea. I was surprised. All these years, you talked about it like a horror film. But then to realize, it's a musical. Oh, well. With some very pretty songs. It is kind of, But speaking of music and songs, didn't you want to do your thing with the record player? Uh, the Victrola. I just got a 1909 Victrola, and I thought this would be a nice time to use it. With the Victrola, then? The uh, record is about birthday cake, so I thought we'd just wait for your cake unveiling. Uh, Mrs. Carswell has been very secretive about arranging this uh, cake. I didn't make it. I was hoping to make one, but this one was sent by a listener, Colette Silva. Oh, well, very kind of you, Colette. We'll, uh, we'll make you an honorary patron with all the associated rewards and... I was going to make one myself, but then I got distracted with that better be beekeeping story, the photos and all that, so it was very nice that Colette jumped in. She's a listener I've been emailing with for a couple of months now. Do we know the publication date for the story on that beekeeping blog yet? Listeners might be interested to learn more about your bee training and bee performances. Oh, I don't know. She's been acting weird ever since she came out here. She was kind of strange. She acted like she'd never seen a shrunken head before. Asking if they're real and then not even believing me, I think. Maybe I should have told her more about the place before she visited. And then it's, is the baboon real? Well, it's a mandrel, of course, but it is real. I know. A little something called taxidermy? To be honest, she acted as if she thought psychic bees weren't real either. Well. Nothing's real. We live in an imaginary house with imaginary things. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, let's see the cake. Okay, then. Uh, Don't you have to wind up that record, uh, that Victrola, first? No, we'll end with the song. Let's see the cake. 
Okay then, here we go! Ta-da! Oh, it's Strix. Well, how charming. Yes, since you've been so excited about your owl. And with what looks like a beehive motif in the background. Yes, she wanted to include my bees. She's very sweet. Big, white, frosting owl eyes. Oreo halves, I think. Yeah. Is that blood on the talons? I wouldn't know. I think it's called yeah, gel icing. blood red. I did tell her about the owl. I'm sure. It looks very realistic. With a lot of blood. It's probably raspberry. Well, thank you so very much, Colette. It's uh, very nice. Uh, and now to our record, I should point out that the record I'll be playing isn't from the Victrola age. It's one of those uh, novelty talking card records from the 1950s, records printed on paper, in this case a birthday card. So I believe the Victrola is adequately cranked, so it won't slow down unnaturally, wouldn't want that. So, uh, happy birthday to us, and uh, thank you to our faithful listeners, yes. and to our patrons, and everybody who keeps us going. Let's hear the song. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror, folklore, and history. I started the show as a way to further explore these overlapping topics after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas, and I am currently working on a related volume. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards, including not one, but two bonus episodes. And I'll have more on all that at the end of our show. Tonight, we have a fairy tale for cat lovers. One read this time by Mrs. Carswell. The story comes from Andrew Lang's Crimson Fairy Book, published in 1903, I've mentioned Lang before as the well-known Victorian collector of fairy tales. His stories were published in a lavishly produced series of so-called colored fairy books, beginning in 1889 with the Blue Fairy Book and running up through 1910's Lilac Fairy Book, 12 volumes total, along with several other books of related folklore, myths, and legends, and even some early writings on parapsychology. 
Some of you may recognize the structure of tonight's story as resembling one discussed in our July 2022 show, Heads in a Fountain, Bones in a Bag. It was, in fact, during my research for that episode that I stumbled upon this curiously feline version of the story, The Colony of Cats. ago, as far back as time when animals spoke, there lived a community of cats in a deserted house they had taken possession of, not far from a large town. They had everything they could possibly desire for their comfort. They were well fed and well lodged. And, if by chance, an unlucky mouse was stupid enough to venture in their way, they caught it, not to eat it, but for the pure pleasure of catching it. The old people of the town related how they had heard their parents speak of a time when the whole country was so overrun with rats and mice that there was not so much as a grain of corn nor an ear of maize to be gathered in the fields, and it might be out of gratitude to the cats who had rid the country of these plagues that their descendants were allowed to live in peace. No one knows where they got the money to pay for everything, nor who paid it, for all this happened so very long ago. But one thing is certain. They were rich enough to keep a servant, for though they lived very happily together and did not scratch, nor fight more than human beings would have done, they were not clever enough to do the housework themselves and preferred at all events to have someone to cook their meat, which they would have scorned to eat raw. Not only were they very difficult to please about the housework, but most women quickly tired of living alone with only cats for companions. Consequently, they never kept a servant long, and it had become a saying in the town when anyone found herself reduced to her last penny, I will go and live with the cats. And so, many a poor woman actually did. Now, Lizina was not happy at home, for her mother, who was a widow, was much fonder of her elder daughter, so that often the younger one fared very badly and had not enough to eat, while the elder could have everything she desired, and if Lizina dared to complain, she was certain to have a good beating. At last the day came when she was at the end of her courage and patience and exclaimed to her mother and sister, As you hate me so much, you will be glad to be rid of me, so I am going to live with the cats. Be off with you, cried her mother, seizing an old broom handle from behind the door. Poor Lizina did not wait to be told twice, but ran off at once and never stopped until she reached the door of the cat's house. Their cook had left them that very morning with her face all scratched. 
the result of such a quarrel with the head of the house that he had very nearly scratched out her eyes. Lizina, therefore, was warmly welcomed, and she set to work at once to prepare the dinner, not without many misgivings as to the tastes of the cats and whether she would be able to satisfy them. Going to and fro about her work, she found herself frequently hindered by a constant succession of cats, who appeared one after another in the kitchen to inspect the new servant. She had one in front of her feet, another perched on the back of her chair while she peeled the vegetables, a third sat on the table beside her, and five or six others prowled about among the pots and pans on the shelves against the wall. The air resounded with their purring, which meant that they were pleased with their new maid. But Lizina had not yet learned to understand their language, and often she did not know what they wanted her to do. However, as she was a good, kind-hearted girl, she set to work to pick up the little kittens which tumbled about on the floor. She patched up quarrels and nursed on her lap a big tabby, the oldest of the community, which had a lame paw. All these kindnesses could hardly fail to make a favorable impression on the cats, and it was even better after a while when she had had time to grow accustomed to their strange ways. Never had the house been kept so clean, the meat so well served, nor the sick cats so well cared for. After a time they had a visit from an old cat, whom they called their father, who lived by himself in a barn at the top of the hill and came down from time to time to inspect the little colony. He too was much taken with Lizina, and inquired on first seeing her, Are you well served by this nice, black-eyed little person? And the cats answered with one voice, Oh yes, Father Gato, we have never had so good a servant. At each of his visits, the answer was always the same, but after a time, the old cat, who was very observant, noticed that the little maid had grown to look sadder and sadder. What is the matter, my child? Has anyone been unkind to you? He asked one day, when he found her crying in the kitchen. She burst into tears and answered between her sobs, Oh no, they're all very good to me, but I long for news from home, and I pine to see my mother and my sister. Old Gato, being a sensible cat, understood the little servant's feelings. You shall go home, he said, and you shall not come back here unless you please. But first, you must be rewarded for all your kind services to my children. Follow me down into the inner cellar, where you have never yet been, for I always keep it locked and carry the key away with me. Lizina looked around her in astonishment as they went down into the great vaulted cellar beneath the kitchen. Before her stood the big earthenware water jars, one which contained oil, the other a liquid shining like gold. In which of these jars shall I dip you? asked Father Gatto, with a grin that showed all his sharp white teeth, but his mustaches stood out straight on either side of his face. The little maid looked at the two jars from under her long, dark lashes. In, in the oil jar, she answered timidly, thinking to herself, I could not ask to be bathed in gold. But Father Gatto replied, 
No, no, you have deserved something better than that. And seizing her in his strong paws, he plunged her into the liquid gold. Wonder of wonders, when Lizina came out of the jar, she shone from head to foot like the sun in the heavens on a fine summer's day. Her pretty pink cheeks and long black hair alone kept their natural color. Otherwise, she had become like a statue of pure gold. Father Gatto purred loudly with satisfaction. Go home, he said, and see your mother and sisters. But take care if you hear the cock crow to turn towards it. If on the contrary, the ass brays, you must look the other way. The little maid, having gratefully kissed the white paw of the old cat, set off for home. But just as she got near her mother's house, the cock crowed, and quickly she turned towards it. Immediately, a beautiful golden star appeared on her forehead, crowning her glossy black hair. At the same time, the ass began to bray. But Lizina took care not to look over the fence into the field where the donkey was feeding. Her mother and sister, who were in front of their house, uttered cries of admiration and astonishment when they saw her, and their cries became still louder, when Lizina, taking her handkerchief from her pocket, drew out also a handful of gold. For some days the mother and her two daughters lived happily together for Lizina had taken them everything she had brought away, except her golden clothing, for that would not come off. In spite of all the efforts of her sister, who was madly jealous of her good fortune, the golden star, too, could not be removed from her forehead. But all the gold pieces she drew from her pockets had found their way to her mother and sister. I will go now and see what I can get out of the pussy, said Peppina, the elder girl. One morning as she took down Lizina's basket and fastened her pockets into her own skirt. I should like some of the cat's gold for myself, she thought, and she left her mother's house before the sun rose. The cat colony had not yet taken another servant, for they knew they could never get one to replace Lizina, whose loss they had not yet ceased to mourn. When they heard that Peppina was her sister, they all ran to meet her. She is not the least like her, the kittens whispered among themselves. Hush, be quiet, the older cat said. All servants cannot be pretty. No, decidedly she was not at all like Lizina. Even the most reasonable and large-minded of the cats soon acknowledged that. The very first day, she shut the kitchen door in the face of the tomcats, who used to enjoy watching Lizina at her work and a young and mischievous cat who jumped in by the open kitchen window and alighted on the table got such a blow with a rolling pin that he squalled for an hour. With every day that passed, the household became more and more aware of its misfortune. The work was as badly done as the servant was surly and disagreeable. In the corners of the rooms there were collected heaps of dust, spider's webs hung from the ceilings, and in front of the window panes the beds were hardly ever made, and the feather beds so beloved by the old and feeble cats had never once been shaken since Lizina left the house. At Father Gatto's next visit he found the whole colony in a state of uproar. 
Caesar has one paw so badly swollen that it looks as if it were broken, said one. Peppina kicked him with her great wooden shoes on. Hector has an abscess in his back where a wooden chair was flung at him. And Agrippa's three kittens have died of hunger beside their mother because Peppina forgot them in their basket up in the attic. There is no putting up with the creature. Do send her away, Father Gatto. Lizina herself would not be angry with us. She must know very well what her sister is like. Come here, said Father Gatto in his most severe tones to Peppina. And he took her down into the cellar and showed her the same two great jars that he had showed Lizina. In which of these shall I dip you? he asked. And she made haste to answer. In the liquid gold for she was no more modest than she was good and kind. Father Gatto's yellow eyes darted fire. You have not deserved it, he uttered in a voice like thunder. And seizing her, he flung her into the jar of oil where she was nearly suffocating. When she came to the surface, screaming and struggling, the vengeful cat seized her again and rolled her in the ash heap on the floor. Then, when she rose dirty, blinded and disgusting to behold, he thrust her from the door, saying, Be gone, and when you meet a braying ass, be careful to turn your head toward it. Stumbling and raging, Papina set off for home, thinking herself fortunate to find a stick by the wayside with which to support herself. She was within sight of her mother's house when she heard in the meadow on the right the voice of a doggy loudly braying. Quickly, she turned her head towards him and at the same time put her hand up to her forehead where, waving like a plume, was a donkey's tail. She ran home to her mother at the top of her speed, yelling with rage and despair, and it took Lizina two hours with a big basin of hot water and two cakes of soap to get rid of the layer of ashes with which Father Gatto had adorned her. As for the donkey's tail, it was impossible to get rid of that. It was as firmly fixed on her forehead as was the golden star on Lizina's. Their mother was furious. She first beat Lizina unmercifully with the broom. Then she took her to the mouth of the well and lowered her into it, leaving her at the bottom, weeping and crying for help. Before this happened, however, the king's son, in passing the mother's house, had seen Lizina sitting sewing in the parlour and had been dazzled by her beauty. After coming back two or three times, he at last ventured to approach the window and to whisper in the softest voice, Lovely maiden, will you be my bride? And she had answered, I will. Next morning, when the prince arrived to claim his bride, he found her wrapped in a large white veil. It is so that maidens are received from their parents' hands, said the mother, who hoped to make the king's son marry Peppina in place of her sister, and had fastened the donkey's tail round her head like a lock of hair under the veil. The prince was young and a little timid, so he made no objections, and seated Peppina in the carriage beside him. 
Their way led past the old house inhabited by the cats, who were all at the window, for the report had gone about that the prince was going to marry the most beautiful maiden in the world, on whose forehead shone a golden star, and they knew that this could only be their adored Lizina. As the carriage slowly passed in front of the old house where the cats from all parts of the world seemed to be gathered, a song burst from every throat. Meow, meow, meow. Prince, look, quick behind you. In the well is fair Lizina, and you've got nothing but Peppina. When he heard this, the coachman, who understood the cat's language better than the prince, stopped his horses and asked, does your highness know what the Grimalkins are saying? And the song broke forth again, louder than ever. With a turn of his hand, the prince threw back the veil and discovered the puffed-up, swollen face of Peppina with the donkey's tail twisted around her head. Ah, oh, traitorous, he exclaimed, and ordering the horses to be turned round, he drove the elder daughter quivering with rage to the old woman who had sought to deceive him. With his hand on the hilt of his sword, he demanded Lizina in so terrific a voice that the mother hastened to the well to draw her prisoner out. Lizina's clothing and her star shone so brilliantly that when the prince led her home to the king, his father, the whole palace was lit up. Next day, they were married and lived happily ever after, and all the cats headed by old Father Gatto were present at the wedding. I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to leave a review if you do. It would very much help our visibility on the streaming services. Uh, as promised at the top of the show, I'd like to provide a bit more on the rewards of joining Bone & Sickle via Patreon. A monthly pledge of $2 provides you access to hundreds of our blog entries in which I share curious uh, tidbits from history and folklore and film clips, all related to our general subject matter. Donating a mere $4 more monthly brings you not one, but two short extra episodes. Other rewards include downloads of the show Soundscapes, heard under the narration, the show scripts, my Krampus book, various t-shirt and mug options, the bone and sickle candle, and unique hand-packed mystery kits. And I'd like to thank a few recent patrons. Thank you to Aubrey Lotz, Alicia H., Jeff D., and a thank you to Anne Knight for generously doubling her annual pledge. Bone and Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening.